Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Shares for beginners. In every aspect in which we have competed, SIBO with the ASX over the last 10 or 11 years, we've seen the ASX respond by reducing their costs to brokers. And when an exchange reduces the cost of execution to the broking community, then generally those brokers can move prices down. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. When we think of trading on the share market, we immediately think of the ASX. But that's not the only game in town. There's another exchange called SIBO, which is a competitor to the ASX. So I'm pleased to welcome back to the mic for the second time, the CEO of SIBO, Vic Djokovic. G'day, Vic. G'day, Phil. How are you? Good, good. Good to see you back here again. Pleasure. And so much has happened since then. There has been a lot. I mean, you know, we can talk about the world Mm -hmm. and all the geopolitical things that are going on in the world. But for us, a lot has happened because one of the biggest exchanges in the world acquired our old business, Chi-X. Yep, used to be called uh, Chi-X, didn't you? Exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we were Chi-X and now we're SIBO, Chicago Board Options Exchange. So a lot of change there with um, a large entrant into the Australian market. So tell us about SIBO. What is it? Like I said in the introduction, most people think it's the ASXs where their shares and um, other products are being traded through. Well, that's right. I mean, a point on that, um, given you've mentioned it, is that if you're buying shares in the Australian market at the moment, you will be buying them likely on the two exchanges. So, you know, anywhere between sort of 10 and 30% or all, in fact, in some cases of what you buy when you go and buy Australian shares may have been transacted on SIBO and not on the ASX. It's really determined by the broker. So the broker takes your order and generally routes to both exchanges, SIBO and the ASX, and whichever one has the best price at the time, that's where it'll execute. And is that kind of automated at the moment? It's absolutely automated. These are called smart order routers. So technology has taken over there. The old days of, um, you know, you give your broker the uh, order and he takes it down to a stock exchange floor. And I know that well because I was down there. (laughs) And it was all paper-based like the world was before. And down would come a runner aptly named a runner. He would run down to the the, uh, operator on the floor and execute. All of that's done electronically in nanoseconds. In fact, orders will come from offshore, from trading houses and brokers in micro or nanoseconds, be executed and be reported back in the US in that sort of time frame. But you asked about SIBO. So SIBO is the largest exchange in Europe. Not a lot of people realise that. It's the third or fourth largest exchange in uh, North America. It's the largest options exchange in the world. Uh, It was the first options exchange in the world back in 73. And in fact, interestingly, Australia had the second options exchange in the world. The ASX set up options, I think, in 76, 77. Uh, So we were fairly forward thinking. But SIBO is a, a very large global exchange. So let's just delve back into history just for a little while there. It's Chicago Board Options Exchange. Yes. And it goes back a long way, doesn't it? And we were talking about the old open outcry pits. 
Actually, before we talk about the history, I remember the last time we spoke, I was really impressed the way you described trading in the 80s on the ASX, or actually it was the Sydney's exchange. Sydney Sydney exchange. exchange. They're all regional exchanges. Yeah, yeah, all regional. Melbourne exchange, Sydney exchange, et cetera. And how there was one monitor on a lazy season between three brokers, and they had ashtrays in the lazy season. Generally, ashtrays on every one full of cigarette butts. (laughs) The world's moved on. So you used to work in Chicago at uh, well, Chicago Board Options Exchange. Well, I worked um, one of my first uh, jobs out of university back in the mid-'80s or, uh, was working with a company called Prudential Beige. They were a Chicago-based broker, and that took me to Chicago. And SIBO itself has always run an educational part of their exchange called the Options Institute. And even going back to 88, 89, when I was there, I did that options course just to give me, you know, I was young and straight out of university, so I wanted to understand what options were. So I did that course at the time, and and it was very early on in terms of the development of the derivatives market of options. That was my first introduction to SIBO, and interestingly, somehow, 35, 40 years later, I find myself working for or with that same group. Mm. Yeah. SIBO Australia also has a lot of other products as well. It's not just about options. There's um, ETFs now, I believe, warrants. Um, Correct. Just, let's talk a little bit yeah. about the products that are yeah, offered. Yeah, look, the key products, I mean, when you talk about competition in Australia, the ASX is a very large organisation with, you know, 900 people with many, many limbs in terms of what they do. We compete with them on some of those limbs. We'll increasingly compete with them now under SIBO and more of those limbs. But where we primarily compete is, if you think about shares and buying share, buying and selling shares, about 20% of all trading every day is executed on our exchange and therefore the other 80% on the ASX. Then you've mentioned warrants. Interestingly, last month, we were 50% of that warrant market for the month. But generally, we're about 35 to 40%, and the ASX is obviously the other 60%. So that's another area in which we, you know, obviously we compete heavily. And then ETFs, this new, very fast-growing phenomenon in Australia. I mean, it was predated. Uh, It was certainly, we saw, you know, large trading in ETFs particularly in North America, but they never really took off in Australia up until about five or six years ago. I know, it's been explosive, hasn't it? It's been explosive. And what it is, I mean, ETFs are the ability to invest in one unit, if you like, that tracks an index or passive ETFs are exactly that. So if you think that the technology sector is going to push up and that's where you want to be invested, then clearly you would buy a ETF that represents a technology index and you would get the returns of the whole index of names. So we have, um, we've certainly pushed into that ETF sector in competing with the ASX. And we've had some fantastic large brands, global brands, local brands, launch their ETFs on the SIBO exchange. And we're talking about Schroeder's, Magellan, Janice Henderson, Alliance Bernstein. These are big fund managers globally, and they have launched those products on SIBO. The latest, and most of those are active ETFs, and that'll probably elicit a question from you, Phil, on, Mm. you know, active versus passive. A passive ETF tracks an index, like I described earlier, and an active ETF is simply 
actively managed by a fund manager, so he takes a greater a role in stock selection. And certainly that's where we have seen these the increasing number of ETFs that are coming to the market, both on SIBO and the ASX, have been in that active space. I've noticed that, that there's now fund managers are starting to move out of the fund space and um, issuing their products as ETFs. Mm. I've seen even some that are both ETFs and managed funds. Yeah, that's right. Look, I mean, historically, these funds have been available off-market, You know, you would fill out an application form, all the KYC would be done, you know, obviously you'd invest in those units, and then the redemption process would be done by the fund manager. So you'd put the application in again through your advisor to then redeem or or sell those units, if you like. The benefits of an on-market product is obviously the ease. You've already got your account, let's say it's with Comsec or Morgans or whoever it might be. You know, they've done all the KYC, so you simply go online or call your broker and it's executed right away. None of that paper trail. So again, electronification, if you like, of that particular product. Yeah. It's just easier. And then on top of that, you can watch that unit price move on market like you watch your ANZ or your Telstra move around. And then you can sell it and it's an easy process, T plus two through your broker. Again, no paperwork. So for many fund managers, I'd describe it as almost the holy grail of, in terms of the next step of getting access to all those brokers and broker accounts and reducing all the paperwork. So it's just an easier form. Mm. Let's have a talk about the crypto ETFs. Mm. Because this is an interesting side of the market at the moment, isn't it? Because it's seen as being crypto is kind of a lawless wild west of uh, currencies. Correct. But um, you're issuing or you're, what's the correct word, facilitating the issuing of ETFs in the crypto space? Yeah, the quoting of ETFs. Yep, the quoting. So let's, I mean, crypto, believe in it or don't believe in it. There's obviously a massive push across the world in terms of the use of blockchain and investing in cryptocurrencies. Let's take Australia first up. I don't know the exact numbers across North America, but I understand it's somewhere between 5 and 7% of Americans have invested in crypto. And that number is somewhere around in in numbers, I think the ATO released a number not so long ago of over a million Australians now hold crypto. So again, believe in it or not, there's a very, very large number of people investing in crypto. Now, you mentioned the lawless, you know, West or whatever. Maybe that's a perception. Well, well, it is well, a perception well, to a certain well, extent. Most, most new products start trading in that way. You know, it's considered lawless and, you know, there's no regulation because they're so new. And really, we've only seen regulations trying to catch up with crypto. And it's important that it does because, you know, for anyone listening, if you want to be investing in crypto, then you want to do it through a safe means. You want to do it in a regulated market because there's too many stories about products. And we've seen it. We saw it, you know, a month ago with some of these um, stable coins, etc. And what can happen there, you know, down 98% in a week is not normal in markets. Not when it's got stable in the title. No, not when it's got (laughs) stable. Exactly. So um, 
what we've seen is crypto ETFs starting to emerge around the globe. And what does that mean? That means, again, an exchange-traded fund that trades crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, or a selection of other coins. And really, it's just a different access point for those cryptocurrencies. So there have only been three or four countries around the globe that have got there where their regulator has worked out you know, what they need to do. The exchanges have worked out the rules, etc. And those countries are Brazil, Switzerland, Canada, and now more or less fourth is Australia. And, and really, SIBO, we were heavily involved in working with the regulator, Treasury, the Reserve Bank. Everyone gets involved, and they should get involved because you're talking about people's money. And where we got to was we launched the first crypto ETF in Australia about a month ago. That was a company called ETFS, followed by others from ETFS and another company, Cosmos. And then tomorrow we have another one from a company called 3IQ. So there are many of these cryptos starting to come to market in different forms. You can buy them that just represent Bitcoin. You can buy them that represent Ethereum or a combination of a basket. So it's good because, you know, it will give investors the opportunity to buy these products on a regulated exchange, regulated by, you know, government and ASIC. Are these ETFs actively managed? They are. They'd have to be, I guess, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, look, they are actively managed, but when you've got an ETF that represents nothing other than Bitcoin, mm. ETFs and Cosmos and now 3IQ will have Bitcoin-related ETFs that represent nothing other than the Bitcoin price mm-hmm. and Ethereum prices in the case of those managers and then baskets as well. There's not a lot of management that goes on. It really should just replicate the price of the underlying crypto. Mm. And how has the market been affected with uh, the recent downturn in all of the cryptocurrency prices? Look, it's interesting. What I should say is these three cryptos, Cosmos, ETFS and 3IQ, are all leaning on existing managers. So they're using existing managers. Canada's two largest crypto managers are Purpose and 3IQ. So these funds that are listing in Australia are really just feeding into those funds that are on the Canadian market or using their management expertise. And then there's a Swiss group as well that are working with ETFs. So they're using their expertise. The downturn is interesting. I won't name the manager, but we've got a crypto fund manager that is in town at the moment. And I said to him, well, the timing could have been better on uh, getting your crypto onto market. I mean, it's taken a while because there's a lot of hoops to jump through, as you'd expect, with regulators, etc. And he said, well, quite the contrary, Vic. In fact, it's a fantastic time for us to be launching because the crypto price is halved and we still strongly believe that it will see new highs and it will see those new highs in the next six or 12 months. So, you know... Some would argue the point the other way. That fund manager would argue that that gives us a better opportunity. But yeah, the markets have been wild, not just in crypto, but right across the board. And, you know, I was asked this question a few days back at a conference at a CIA, a Securities Institute conference around geopolitical risks and markets at the moment. And, you know, you look at the geopolitical risks in the world from Ukraine, Russia to to, um, you know, obviously concerns around cyber attacks, 
this decoupling around technology and the US block and China block really trying to be much more, well, certainly in the case of the US block, and we're probably in more in that block, trying to be self-sufficient in terms of not needing that supply chain out of, of China. That's a huge change that's going on. Oh, at the a, there, that a lot of people massive, aren't aware of. Absolutely. Massive yep. changes in the world. And then on top of that, we get this situation now where post-COVID, we've got inflation, no doubt, increasing quickly. And perhaps some of the forecasts on inflation have already been exceeded. So I think it might have caught some economists off guard. And all of that creates an environment where... We may not realise it, but if you look at the performance of some of the global indices since the start of the year, it's crept up on us. You know, the S&P 500, arguably the global benchmark, is down 20%. And then the darlings of the last five years, the FANG stocks, you know, Facebook and Amazon, Google, Netflix, those four in particular are down 35 to 40% mm. since the start of the year. But interestingly, our market... I think is only down 4 or 5%. So one might argue that we've got some catch-up or otherwise, um, you know, we're not as heavily exposed to those more volatile names and that's the reason we've held up. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. With crypto and the legitimization of crypto, what is the shape of the regulation that's required to achieve that? Oh, look, I mean, in terms of getting there, it was certainly a long process with government, you know, Treasury, Reserve Bank, all those groups that form COFA, the Council of Financial Regulators needed to be involved. And ASIC needed to be comfortable that the exchange had set rules around the management of these products. They needed to be comfortable that the clearinghouse, and we have one clearinghouse in Australia, that's the ASX's clearing and settlements house, Chess. Soon to be blockchain, apparently. <laughs> Soon <laughs> to be blockchain. That's a conversation, a longer conversation, <laughs> perhaps for another day, but we can touch on that as well, if you like, Phil. But um, yeah, you needed to have all the pieces in place. Were the custodians ready? Was the clearinghouse ready with margining? Were the brokers ready? Was the exchange ready, SIBO? And look, our competitor, the ASX, have already set their rules and they will have product on market soon as well. So there will be other fund managers coming onto the ASX to compete with those fund managers that have crypto products on, on SIBO. But the ecosystem needs to be worked out. And boy, oh boy, we found that out the hard way. We thought we could have launched these products a year ago, but because it was so new and the lack of understanding across the market, including amongst all those those parts of the ecosystem, meant that it was one step at a time 
the last step being the clearing house. And we finally got that clearing approval about a month ago, and that's when these products started to come to market. Just before we go on, what are the ticker codes for these ETFs? Okay, so we've got uh, CBTC, which is the Cosmos Asset Ticker. That's the uh, Bitcoin fund. ETFs, that's EBTC. That's their Bitcoin. The Ethereum fund is EETH. I'll have to check on what the the ticker is for 3IQ. That will be on market today. So just check our website, the SIBO website, and all of them are listed there. How do SIBO and ASX work alongside each other, apart from in the background of the exchanges and um, in trading? Are there other ways that uh, you relate to each other? Well, we have to. You can be competitors, but equally we need to work with each other. Look, there are other exchanges in Australia, but really the two dominant exchanges in the equity market. There's other exchanges? There are other exchanges. There are. There's the National Stock Exchange that has um, been trying over time to compete with the ASX on listings, corporate listings. So they have a number of smaller, small cap and micro cap names that trade on their exchange. You know, that's been difficult for them to compete in that area with the ASX, but they've certainly pushing along. And then there's Sydney Stock Exchange, another group that has corporate listings as well. But I think both of those exchanges are just trying to get there in terms of, you know, relevance versus the ASX. So that battle will continue for some time. But in the main game, in terms of trading every day, it's SIBO and ASX, more or less in that ratio that I told you about 20% with SIBO, 80% with the ASX. Interestingly, in the ETF market, it's probably 60% ASX, 40% SIBO. So we've taken a large share of the trading in the ETF market. So an ETF has to list on an exchange. Is that exchange the way it works? Exchange traded fund. Yep. Right. It has okay. to be exchange traded. And it traded. can be either SIBO or yeah. ASX. Yeah. And everything that trades on the stock market has to go through an exchange. If it doesn't trade on market through the day, if it's a a large, what we call block trades, you know, institutional block trade where it's, you know, five or 10 or $50 million and it goes from one large institutional fund manager to another, it may not trade through the market because of the size of the trade. And certain trades, depending on size, don't have to be printed on market as in through the trading day, but they still have to be reported on market. Mm. You know, there still needs to be a mechanism for showing that the trade happened. Yeah. Exactly. Transparency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Competition is presumably to benefit investors or benefit users. What do you see as there been the benefits to Aussie investors with SIBO or CHIX previously coming into the market? Yeah, look, I mean, you don't see it as an investor. If I didn't know the exchange market or financial markets all that well, and I was just interested in buying and selling shares, you may not even know that there are two exchanges. But certainly the benefits are the same. You know, I always draw the analogy of, well, if we didn't have Uber competing with the taxi industry, or if we didn't have Coles competing with Woolworths or IGA or Aldi coming in to compete with them, you know, ultimately, I'm sure we'd all be paying higher prices for our retail goods or whatever. So the benefit is perhaps not seen, but the benefit is that in every aspect in which we have competed, SIBO with the ASX over the last 10 or 11 years, in our former guise as Chiax, we've seen the ASX respond by reducing their costs 
to brokers. And when an exchange reduces the cost of execution to the broking community, then generally those brokers can move prices down. And there's no way that Comsec and Westpac Online and NAB Online and all, you know, CMC and all of those groups that, you know, everyone listening are probably familiar with and perhaps using, that they would have been able to offer the commission rates that they're currently seeing without that exchange competition. Because if the exchange is charging you $10 a trade to execute a trade, let's say, it's highly unlikely that you're going to be pricing it at $5 to your consumer. Mm. So the last 10 years, I think the competition with between SIBO and ASX has facilitated the much lower rates of commission in the marketplace. And that extends out to other things. Exchanges sell market data. Every bit of data that you see if you're looking at a screen is sold by the exchange. Now, that that used to be very, very expensive. SIBO came in and cut those prices by 70 80%. The ASX has responded to some degree. And then that gets fed down to the cost of things like access to a you know, Bloomberg screen or some other data provider. Mm. Let's go back to clearing houses yep. and the chess system. We yep. all know that when we buy or sell any instrument on the exchange that we get a blue piece of paper providing confirmation of that. Yep. And as we alluded to before, this is going to become electronic yep. using blockchain technology. Yeah. Yeah, tell us about that. Oh, look, I mean, there are naysayers, but certainly what the ASX is doing, regardless of the time it's taken, again, it's very new. It's certainly not been done before on the scale that the ASX are looking to do it. And it will provide a new source of truth, easier access, arguably better security, for underlying shareholders, better access to market data. There are many benefits to using the the blockchain or distributed ledger technology in terms of the clearinghouse. And the, the ASX are right to argue that their old clearing system is now 30 years old and we need to move away from that technology. I think the concerns in the market, if anyone has read the press, around you know, the replacement of the existing chess system with the new DLT-based system is just the amount of time it's taking to get it done and the fact that these timelines have been pushed out. But they will get there. And um, I don't think for the, the consumer, for the investor, a lot will change. It'll just be much more efficient for the exchanges and for brokers and for all those vendors involved. So your parent company, SIBO, run what's known as the VIX, the Volatility Index, is that right? Yeah, it's the, you know, when you talk about global benchmarks, things that people look at. In Australia, we look at the ASX 200. That's generally the benchmark if you're watching TV that you refer to. In the global sense, we look at the MISCI, MSCI, Global Index, or the S&P. Which is an index of every, of, of, of most of the Of markets. the globe, yeah, yeah the including globe, yeah. Australia's, whatever it is. For those that don't know, I mean, it's less than 2% of the global index, the MSCI. And then we look at the US. I mentioned it earlier, the S&P 500. When it comes to volatility, the key index that everyone looks at in terms of how volatile markets are at the moment is the VIX index, the VIX, Volatility Index. And that is a SIBO that's part of our exchange. 
It's operated for a long time, I would say somewhere around 20, 25 years. We've had access to the VIX. And certainly what I look at if I'm looking at volatility, if you're a a trader, if you're a fund manager, if you're an options trader, you will look at volatility. And what we're seeing at the moment is interesting. The VIX has these long periods of inactivity. It's like Australia before bushfires, you know, everything is quiet. Smooth seas. Smooth seas, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing happening. The VIX is trading at sort of 15 to 20-ish and then you'll get something happening somewhere globally, an event and the volatility index, the VIX will spike. And what we're seeing at the moment with this incredible convergence of many things at once Governments having printed a lot of money to get us through COVID, this unexpected Russia-Ukraine event, if inflation really starting to ratchet up, more concerns around these cyber issues globally, and then the whole US-China debate and Taiwan as a potential flashpoint. So you pull all of those together at the one time and we're seeing the VIX index trade at elevated levels, plus 30 as opposed to 15 to 20 and as high as 50, 60 on various weeks depending on what's going on. And our strategist at SIBO sees an extended period of very high volatility. And the last times we witnessed this, if we look back two or three times over history, 87, if you're old enough like me that, you know, we go back to the 87 crash and elevated VIX index in the sort of 60s, 70s, 80s. And then, you know, you had the dot-com boom and bust around the early 2000s. 2007 to 2008, nine, the GFC, again, elevated VIX levels. And now for about the last six to 12 months, we've seen an elevated VIX and there's no reason to believe it's going to come down anytime soon. So what does that mean for people listening? It means heightened movement in markets. So expect to see bigger shifts in prices up and on a down. daily, on a, up and down yeah. on a daily basis. Don't be surprised if you see moves of 3 or 4% quite often. Is the volatility index derived from the price movements? It is. is that, it's exactly where it, it comes exactly from. Nothing right. else. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. Mm, no, it's interesting to know that. So you're speaking with analysts at SIBO as well. Apart from this increased volatility, is there anything else that they're taking into account? Looking oh, look, you know, I mean, the- there's clearly a refocus on fixed income products. Mm. We're going to see, perhaps thankfully for anyone that's um, retired, for example, and um, dependent on fixed income returns, you know, if they haven't invested, you know, a lot of retirees invest in bank deposits Mm. and they've seen no returns, I think you're going to start to see those returns ratchet up, obviously. Rates are going up. There's no moving away from that. So we see more fixed income products coming into onto exchange and certainly in focus. We certainly see an increase in these crypto products. They're not going away. You know, I mentioned those now four regions or countries that have regulated ETFs on market, Australia being one, the US, many countries across Europe and elsewhere are now pushing for these listed regulated ETFs. So that's a focus for SIBO in um, in the US, certainly, and in Canada. And uh, I think in terms of other products, I mean, 
high volatility is great for futures and options markets, derivatives markets. So you don't see crypto going anywhere then? That's here to stay? Well, you know what? Unless there's a massive meltdown, and I just can't see it at the moment, it now feels like um, the use of blockchain is in, you know, much more accepted. You know, mainstream, large Australian companies are all doing work on how they can use blockchain technology. So you think about your NABs and Comsecs to your, some of your larger manufacturing groups, they're all looking at crypto. Healthcare groups, I know they have teams working on how they might be able to use blockchain technology. It doesn't feel like it's going away. That doesn't mean that, you know, I'm necessarily endorsing... <laughs> Putting uh, the house on the, uh, uh, under uh, the product, yeah. but it, I think it was important that we brought some of those products into a regulated world, and then we'll see where they go from there. Yeah, because blockchain, being the the technology underlying crypto, is not yeah. just for cryptocurrencies, it's for many, many uses as well. I mean, I was speaking to a friend recently who sells rare books, Yeah, and rare books are going to go on blockchain because it's all about the provenance and being able to prove where that book came from and its history exactly. and um, that it's exactly what is being sold. Absolutely. So that is the point. You know, let's move away from the underlying cryptocurrencies to the technology itself. And the, the technology is a step change. It's a significant move forward in terms of, you know, everything. We're seeing these supply chain issues around the globe, which obviously, you know, again, blockchain can play a part there as well. So Vic, how can people find out more information about SIBO? Thanks, Phil. Yes, the best place to go, I'd say, would be the website. Mm. So sibo.com.au cboe.com.au is the best place, yeah. So it's not an acronym, it's pronounced SIBO, as we've been saying all through. Absolutely, it is, it is, yes. Vic Djokovic, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Phil, pleasure. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. SIBO is the holder of an Australian financial markets licence to operate a financial market in Australia. Any information is provided for informational purposes only. It's not intended to be financial product advice. Under no circumstances is it to be used as a basis for, or considered as an offer to, engage in any activity or purchase or sell any security, or as a solicitation or recommendation of the purchase, sale or offer to purchase or sell any security. To the extent permitted by law, SIBO makes no representations or warranties and excludes all liability in relation to the information provided. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. 